1: filtered news
0: real news welcome everyone to the Tory says show i'm your host tori today is august 20th 2019 and it's tuesday and it's crazy and everyone's triggered and they're still talking about the most historic troll event our president seemed to demonstrate. Yes, he is like a super, super duper expert at trolling. Um, We had this insane conference by Omar and Tlib. We really need to talk about that today. Uh, We need to talk about her fake crocodile tears and the fake uh, person they brought on uh, to talk about how they're being barred. Uh, We need to talk about, Turkey and Russia and Idlib and Syria and how narratives change. Uh, talk about Hong Kong, Pompeo and what's going on and how Twitter seems to not only just uh, discriminate against conservative accounts, but they actually take sides in global political action. And they are literally silencing the Chinese side of the argument in respect to Hong Kong. So it's not just conservatives. It's any agenda that doesn't align with what they want to be out there. So, uh, you know, it's a pretty uh, busy day and a lot of people are like, well, a lot's being talked about, but not a lot is happening. And that's because there is way too much happening in the background. As far as the Fourth unelected branch of government, they are scurrying with their heads off. It's like that, you know, when you chop a head off a chicken and they're running, uh, you know, because they don't know they don't have a head yet. They're just continually running. This is exactly what's going on here. So um, because that is going to be coming out. I said it uh, back in January that in August is when you pluck the grapes. And at the end of August is where you sip that fine wine from those grapes that you have just plucked. And that is happening. Uh, You know, the fall is here. Labor Day weekend is here, and it's going to be pretty interesting. I thought maybe today we can start the show with um, talking about Pompeo first. Uh, There is an interview that he uh, gave uh, to Martha McCullum yesterday uh, talking about uh, a few things. And I want to tell you guys something about Pompeo. I know everyone is targeting him, how he was so anti-Trump, but... Like I said, he didn't really know him and he was very afraid of the unknown and people like Mike Pompeo are people that do not like the unknown. They're control freaks and anybody in the intelligence community is pretty much a control freak. They want to know everything about anything and considering that he didn't know much about Trump, right? As Mr. Donald Trump means that he was outside of the loop, Outside of the loop of what they were doing to him, which probably angers him more because I'd be more PO'd thinking, wait a minute, I'm like part of this group, but nobody told me that they're doing this. Like, why would they leave me out? Because then they would know that I'd align with him because I hate, you know, authoritarian government, totalitarianism in the United States because I'm all about the U.S. Constitution and what comes forward. And this is why he became CIA director first because he had to implement all these new programs, these incognito programs all falling under intelligence like these special task forces that are going after politicians, military officials, and anyone with a title or some sort of prestige that feels that they are protected like churches to go after all of them for the atrocities they've committed against children. That includes people that are also part of Trump's cabinet right now. You are not excluded because you feel that you are next to him. You can be his second in command, but you already got busted. So we can leave it at that. We love Mike Pompeo. Uh, You know, us patriots, I guess, love him because, you know, he is that type of guy. I mean, listen, think of instinct, right? Instinct is something that we're born with. All animals have it. All mammals have it. Why? Because it's to help us um, understand danger that we can't Register. So our mind goes through processes. Our brain makes connections where you don't see them. It's like, you know, when you instantly meet someone and you know if you like them or if you don't like them, right? So those that you don't like immediately just by looking at their face, okay, it's because your brain is picking up and correlating facial features, tone, stature, size, eye spacing, everything to something that it Uh, you know, relates to dangerous. So like if someone looks like a shark, you know, you're automatically going to be scared of them, right? If someone has bad energy, you can feel it. And you're just like, yo, I I don't want to mess with you or roll with you. So kind of like Ilhan Omar, when you see her, you see someone that looks down on you that has claws, like her nails look like claws, and that speaks in a cadence of authority. Now, we'll get to that at the end of the hour. I'm going to tell you something she did during her press conference that nobody noticed. That was the most biggest slap in the United States face ever. So having said that, let's take a listen to what Mike Pompeo has to say about current events globally and
2: domestically.
3: State. Mike Pompeo joins us now in a story exclusive. Uh, Secretary Pompeo, good to see you tonight. Thank you very much for being here.
2: You're welcome. Great to be with you, Martha.
3: Um, so what do you what do you make of that? That's a pretty interesting story, given what we've been watching unfold in Hong Kong.
2: So, Martha, I've seen those reports. Um, I also know the history of China and its efforts in Uh, cyberspace, conducting cybercrime, this is uh, another element of their efforts to manipulate data. Uh, What what we know is this, in in Hong Kong, these are protesters who are simply seeking liberty and freedom. They're asking only that China uphold its commitment, the promise that it made, which was that there would be one country but two systems respecting Hong Kong in ways uh, that were appropriate for the Hong Kong people. Uh, That's what President Trump's made clear. He said he's he's for liberty, he's for democracy, and we hope that the Chinese government will respect that.
3: I mean, this puts President Xi in a, in a difficult position in the middle of this trade discussion that is going on. And now he's under a ton of pressure um, as this this you know, movement that is trying to really preserve the democracy that they were promised in Hong Kong continues to fire up. And then you've got the question of Huawei and whether or not the Trump administration is starting to sort of back down a little bit on that discussion here's the here's the president sort of talking about this in in a big way and, and i want to get your reaction to this
4: i think it would be very hard to deal if they do violence i mean if it's another Tiananmen square it's i think it's a very hard thing to do at this moment it looks much more like we're not going to do business i don't want to do business at all because it is a national security threat what are your thoughts on
3: that he's talking about huawei there at the end
2: Yes. Look, with respect to Huawei, this this administration has taken actions that no previous administration was prepared to take. President Trump's done the same thing on trade. Yeah. Uh, we understand the challenges that China uh, presents. Uh, we've asked them multiple times just to honor their word. We talked about that in Hong Kong, right? They have to honor what they promised the Hong Kong people. They made a commitment that they wouldn't uh, militarize the South China Sea. Uh, they've mm-hmm. made promises about human rights, uh, the activities that are taking place in the Western provinces in China are of an enormous scale of human rights violations we when we try to negotiate a trade agreement with them um, we've tried to put in processes that ensure we have the opportunity to verify because we need to make sure that we don't suffer from uh, China breaking a promise or have to uh, watch Chinese dif- disinformation about the agreement that's entered into
3: so uh, I mean you have really dug in in diplomacy. You have traveled all over the world. Um, I, you know, I don't think you, you know sleep in the same place probably uh, very often uh, throughout the course of the week and probably not, not home a whole lot either. Um, but now that you've met these you know, the individuals who are dealing with all of this in China, how optimistic are you, given everything that we just talked about, that they can enter into a good faith trade agreement that we can count on, that we can trust?
2: Martha, that's the right question. It's the question that Ambassador Lighthizer and Secretary Mnuchin have been asking for the entire set of negotiations. We want to make sure that we have a set of agreements that have the real capacity to verify and enforce. We're, we're eyes wide open with this. And, you know, it's, it's been the president's shown great leadership. Uh, we've had unfair, uh, completely unreciprocal set of relationships with China on trade for an awfully long time now. And President Trump is determined to fix that on behalf of the American people. It's a a commercial imperative so that we can continue to grow our economy. But it's also a national security imperative to make sure that we get that right.
3: One last question. China is very upset that we are doing this F-16 deal, selling jets to Taiwan. Uh, They've spoken out about it. They said, basically, you know, you better change your mind on this deal or else there's going to be consequences. What do you say to them?
2: The president approved the uh, notice that went up to Capitol Hill on uh, Thursday or Friday of last week so that we could move forward with these F-16 sales. These are deeply consistent with the arrangements, the uh, historical relationship between the United States and China, the three communiques that that layer on top of that. Uh, our actions are consistent with past U.S. policy. We We are simply following through on the commitments we've made to all of the parties.
3: All right. Question for you on Iran. Their tanker was released by the British uh, that was being held in Gibraltar. Do you think that that was a mistake by the British?
2: Yeah, it's unfortunate that that happened.
0: Okay, we're going to leave that for the next pocket of discussion, which is the tanker, um, at the end of the first hour. So, China. So, he's. If you actually look at Pompeo when he speaks, uh, he's actually quite enjoy enjoyable to watch, and um, he seems sincere, uh, but he's really not. Um, he's controlling his expression so you can't read him, but there are times where you can see. Um, you know, the detest, the anger, and the satisfaction. In the case of him referring to China, the doubt is no doubt there. Uh, You know, how do we trust them? How do we move forward? Because they're really, really upset. And the way we put them in the spot where we can have them to be more transparent on topics that we want to know about, on topics that affect our nation is exactly with what we did with Taiwan. Taiwan said, we want F 16s. And we said, sure. And he's like, wait a minute. You didn't ask me. I don't say that that's, wool." they, they asked, they're, they're, they're asking on their own and they're paying on their own. So... We're dealing with them. Is there something you'd like to add to that, you know, President Xi? Is there something that we don't know? And this is how you pull out information. I want you to listen to the Qatari's uh, spin on what is going on in Hong Kong. Because, see, we need to listen to both sides of the story. I know... We all know, right, that China manipulates the access for their citizens to the Internet, limits their ability to search information, disseminate information, uh, create information and content. We know this. But we also know that Twitter is all about, well, big tech, Silicon Valley, is all about promoting their ideologies. And here's where we get a glimpse of that, which is not false. It's reality. Take a listen.
5: President Xi Jinping's last Hong Kong visit was two years ago, to mark 20 years since the handover of what was a British colony to China. He minced no words then about who was in control.
6: Any attempt to endanger China's sovereignty and security, challenge the power of central government and the basic law of Hong Kong, or to use Hong Kong to conduct infiltration and sabotage against the mainland, is an act that crosses the red
5: line. But the past 11 weeks of mass protests in Hong Kong seem to cross that red line, the government even calling some of it near terrorism. However, there's been not a single word from Xi himself. Unlike his U.S. counterpart, President Donald Trump, who personally involves himself on topics big and small, including these protests in Hong Kong, President Xi rarely engages on specific issues, focusing more on the big picture. But some say don't confuse the lack of face time as lack of direct involvement on Hong Kong.
4: I think anything that China will do uh, involving Hong Kong will be a decision directly up to President Xi Jinping and uh, the top leadership very closely at his disposal. He has lots of things to take care of, and Hong Kong probably is just one of them.
5: One tactic that top Chinese leadership has decided on, misinformation. Twitter and Facebook have taken steps to block hundreds of accounts with ties to the Chinese government. Twitter said the accounts were an orchestrated attempt to undermine the legitimacy and political positions of the protest movement. And through lower-level officials, the government has accused Western nations of meddling. A strong visual warning from Beijing coming several times over the last two weeks propaganda video of armed police amassing and training in Shenzhen just across the border from Hong Kong, a not-so-subtle reminder of mainland might. The stakes are high for the central government.
4: If they can't handle the Hong Kong situation properly, it means a failure for its one country, two systems. It will affect their rule greatly. China wants to unify Taiwan with the same one country, two systems, but if it fails in Hong Kong, it won't work with Taiwan. It's a threat for the future.
5: All this just six weeks before the big celebration marking 70 years since the founding of the People's Republic of China. There'll be a big military parade here in Beijing and a showcase speech by Xi looking into the future. But a simmering situation in Hong Kong could cast a shadow over that future. Scott Heiler, Al Jazeera, Beijing.
0: So basically, they are claiming that Twitter is blocking any pro Chinese government accounts and that they are blocking any messages talking about Hong Kong. But like you heard is exactly what I said last week that China has a big problem here because aside from the fact that they quashed the law that initiated this whole, you know, protest, now the people of Hong Kong use that as an excuse to demand their full independence. And so now with the uprising, this is a big problem for China because if China can't deal with that problem, then it makes them look weak. And when you look weak, your people don't respect you. And if they can't fix the Hong Kong situation in the future, even now, the Chinese know that all they need to do is turn out in numbers and they can't do anything I mean bottom line the only way the Chinese would be able to do something is by what dropping a nuke dropping a bomb on their own people but here's the thing in this day and age in the age of information you can't really conceal that so China is under high scrutiny right now on their human rights violations on the way they maneuver their authoritarian government and the outcome of Hong Kong will be the undertone of how China as a nation proceeds. This is a very important time in history for the Chinese. And this, I'm sorry to say, is a repeat of what former dynasties have done. Now, so far, China has been able to have these unreciprocal relationships and gain on trade with other nations because they've, uh, I would say in, an, in a slight air quote and really overextending the use of this, but they've kind of mind their own business. And that strategy throughout the t- the history of time has allowed the Chinese to Stand tall and stay uh in existence. The plan was, the long term plan, because China never does things for the now, they do it for the long term, was we'll stay as a nation while the rest of the world muddles itself and becomes one nation, where they have a discombobulation of tongues, of diseases, of cultures until they succumb to one order. And it'll be the Chinese against that one order. And no matter how many people they have in bodies against us, the one difference will be that those bodies that will be fighting for that new world order will not like the new world order. So they will not fight with the new world order. In essence, they might even defect and ask the Chinese to take them on because our nation will be prospering. This is the plan. If I was to time travel, that's exactly where I'd be in 50 years from now. The Empire of China, which is living uh, just like you would see in the Jetsons, loving every minute of it, whereas the rest of the world would be something like the Hunger Games, where there would be factions of of slaves working for a small group of people, you know, like the Clintons, which would be dead by then, but you know, they're they're. their descendants and clowns that, uh, you know, Don, you know, they shine their smiley faces on TV and tell you what to think, you know, you'd be serving those people. That's, that's what the future is or was before Trump and China knew that. And so right now the problem that president Xi has is he's done the same mistake other dynasties and leaders have done in the past. He's tried to stay on track with the same program without mitigating and without being malleable. That's the problem. You can't be rigid in a very fluid environment, especially when you have wrenches thrown into other plans like President Trump is like, you know, uh, Salvini is, you know, all of these things are wrenches in the plan. Wrenches, you know, another wrench is Saudi Arabia and Israel working together. That's another wrench. So if you're not malleable, you will fail. And here is where President Xi refused to be malleable to the new times and thus found himself in a position where his plan is crumbling because he didn't mitigate it correctly. And the correct way to do it was to redirect the energy and the rigidity of his plan. And so now the crunch time comes what happens? Do I let Hong Kong go and they become independent? And if so, that shows weakness because they did it out of force. They forced me to do it because I can't kill all of them. I can't run tanks over them. I can't drop a bomb on them. I obviously can't hurt them money-wise, food-wise, or cut their aid because they'll get it from somewhere else. And all the cameras are on me. And not only the cameras of the world, but the cameras of mainland China who look at the Chinese government and say, you let them get away with it in the future. If we don't like what you have to say, we're going to get away with it, too. And so that is the concern they have. That is the concern um, uh, of the leaders that are to come, because how do you keep a society in check which will refute what you have to say? I mean, once this social scoring system is in full blown effect and people don't like it, all you need is a couple of million of them, to, uh, you know, rise up and you're done. Human rights violation, this violation, that violation. I mean, people are already talking about it. So China has lost it. And what they need to do is sit down and reevaluate how they're going to work. They need to have discussions with leaders like President Trump. So they can say, all right, dude, we're stuck. We wanted this plan to do, because we knew the the, you know, the plan was for them to do this and we thought this is the best for our nation. But now you've come along and you've completely destroyed it and we have no idea how to go forward. This is where leaders meet and say, this is what I would like in 10 years for my nation. I want to get there. I know you're busy with your nation and you want to get your nation somewhere in 10 years. How do we work together to make both our dreams come true? It's kind of like you and your friends sitting down saying, 10 years, I want to be here. And, you know, your friends like "And then 10 years, I want to be here. What can we do to help each other get to where we want without causing harm to one another and not causing harm to those, you know, that come in our way? This is how leadership should respond. This is how leaders should be talking. But... In essence, that would mean that they'd be vulnerable and they'd show weakness to each other. And that's something leaders don't do these days. They don't accept their vulnerabilities. They don't accept the fact that they don't know everything and they don't accept the fact that they need each other to have competition. You need the other side to compete with you. To have growth, you need the other side that negates what your idea is in order to drive you to do it. The the yin yang, right? We we know how it is. Opposites attract. We need the, the positive and the negative in order to create a bond, right? So how do we move forward? And exactly what our president said, let's start talking. Why don't you and I meet with Faraday bags? We stick all our phones in the middle of a field and we just sit down and talk or in a skiff, whatever you want. Let's be straightforward. What's your plan? Because I'll tell you what my plan is for America, you tell me what your plan is for China, and we can figure out a way of how to make this work. That is how adults work. Good leaders help others lead, right? And good leaders accept vulnerabilities, accept their aspirations, their shortcomings, uh, you know, their great points, you know what they're good at and can identify their own flaws and request the help when they need it. That's what a good leader does. Anyone that says, well, I'm the best, and this is my idea, you either fall in line or, then you're going to be with a lot of ore. Conversation is key here to fix and resolve the Hong Kong situation without causing deep-seated unrest in mainland China. Because China has implemented and piloted Very concerning, human rights violating, privacy violating, non-human violating, prison camps, this, that in their nation where people now in the age of information are starting to get clued up and do not like it. So to avoid this opportunity for the unrest to escalate, conversation is necessary. And this is why a president tweeted it out. He said, hey, I would welcome a conversation. Let's talk. Maybe we can find, you know, something together to do about this whole Hong Kong situation. He was right. That's the only way to go forward right now. Digging your head in the sand, asking your generals for help, trying to find a way, buying people out, figuring out who's organizing the rallies, hitting it on social media, controlling the, you know, social media aspect, the news aspect is not going to help. These are all Band-Aids because no matter how many Band-Aids you put over a wound, if you don't clean it out and suture it, it'll fester bacterial infection. That's it. You'll have to cut it off or, you know, you're going to get sick Um, systemically. You'll get sepsis and you'll die. So if, you know, President Xi doesn't want China to die or the idea of this Chinese empire in the future to die, he needs to start talking. He needs to be vulnerable he needs to have private conversations with le- real leaders that respect their individuality and respect each other each country's um, plan for their own nation and move forward. and that person is President Trump. He had the same conversation with the Crown Prince. He may not like the Crown Prince much and doesn't agree with what he's done, but he's had that conversation with him and with President Putin and that is how you have growth and strengthen ties with nation when you have a good, deep understanding of what their wants are. I'll see you all in just a bit.
7: Red State Talk Radio is now available as a voice command on your Amazon Echo and Echo Dot by simply saying, Alexa, play Red State Talk Radio.
0: Red State Talk Radio on TuneIn.
5: To every single American. Now, we've been hearing all these stories about sanctuary cities. Sanctuary cities that.
7: You can now find us on the Amazon Echo and Echo Dot, on TuneIn, on iHeartRadio, and we also have the phone apps in the App Store for your particular phone. And just in case we activated your Echo Dot, Alexa, stop.
8: Hello, my fellow patriots. My name is Michael Flynn Jr., and I am the proud son of General Flynn. Your support of the last two years has been incredible and will never be forgotten. If you'd like to continue supporting General Flynn, you can donate to our Legal Defense Fund. Any donation is welcome. To donate, go to www.mikeflynndefensefund.org. Thank you and God bless America.
9: Hey, this is Leonora Cravota from Red State Talk Radio for My Pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 800-961-9194, promo code State. Put sleepless nights behind you with MyPillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own.
0: For the
7: best night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com.
6: Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed.
0: All right. Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Sesshow. I'm your host, Tori. So I was kind of like looking at the pictures of Eric Trump and Leah Trump with their new baby. So cute. And I saw like these amazing comments. The more Trump's, the better. The Trump dynasty expands. I mean, they're just so incredible. And, you know, that is how you see someone is blessed by God. When they have children, when they have a legacy, when they have grandkids, when they're around to see their grandkids, that's even more incredible. Uh, you know, uh, and 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 if they're, you know, part of the community and the society in that sense, right? You see that blessing and you're just like, wow. And that's, that's incredible. I mean, I remember when I was younger, I wanted to have like, you know... Six to seven kids, I didn't get to. Because, you know, life and it just wasn't happening for me. I'm lucky that I... You know, have these two incredible children. Uh, and that is down to the way society is these days. I don't know. I mean, I started having children early. I would have thought that I would have had like seven kids at least. Uh, cause I think, uh, you know, I'm, I'm a sucker guys. I'm the Christmas lady. I'm already Christmas shopping. I am all about family because family is the reason, you know, uh, society has solid foundations. When there is no family, there is no solid foundations. And on that note, I thought I'd introduce you guys to a new contender uh, going against Ilhan Omar. Um, I think he's pretty incredible. Uh, I listened to his um, kind of video, and I want to play it for you of why he's running. What he's—gosh, this guy speaks to my heart. I think it's like you know he speaks to a lot of us. Take a listen.
10: I'm Lacey Johnson. With your support, I will replace Ilhan Omar as our representative in Congress. I'm originally from Natchez, Mississippi. My mom and dad raised me, six sisters, and three brothers on a shoestring budget, to put it mildly. But I learned that not having money does not make me poor. I have always had the richness of God, good people, good food, good music, and a good heart. I've been living in North Minneapolis for over 40 years. I'm a devoted family man. My wife, Betty, and I have been married for over 32 years. We've raised two sons, Darian and Adrian. I believe the family is a basic building block of any strong and productive society. My wife is the glue that holds our family together, of course. As I always say, a good wife is a man's best friend. I'm not a politician. I've had a 40-year career as a computer technologist, This is man and entrepreneur. I believe in serving God by helping people. A good leader is first and foremost a good servant. I believe that I am responsible for providing for and supporting my family, not government or anyone else. I believe that goal setting, hard work, discipline, making good choices, attitude, and just plain old tenacity largely determine our accomplishments in life. Roadblocks are no excuses to fail or not even try. I'm impatient with Ms. Omar, who focuses on the past of America in a negative way, who shows and speaks with such disrespect for our country, refusing to acknowledge the tremendous progress we've made since our founding. My vision for this country and families of our district is an environment where we encourage and help every person be the best she or he can be, where individual responsibility and accountability is the expectation. Our future is bright, even brighter with a reduced dependency on government. I believe in the Reagan view that the role of government is to do things for people which they cannot do for themselves. That government does not solve problems. It subsidizes them. For evidence, look at Baltimore or any place where socialist Democrats have been in control for years. We need someone in Congress who looks after the interests of our own district. Not Ms. Omar, who's more concerned with being a self-promoting, anti-President Trump national celebrity. It is time we send Miss Omar packing, along with a pro-socialist, pro-open border, anti-Israel, anti-Second Amendment, anti-personal freedom.
0: His video cuts off really quick. I love him. Uh, his name is Lacey Johnson, guys. Uh, you can follow him uh, on Twitter at Lacey Johnson, M-N, and that's L A C Y J O H N S O N. MN, Lacey Johnson, that's L A C Y. Incredible, right? He says exactly what President Trump is saying, what we are saying, what we believe. That what happened to working hard and getting what you need? What happened to personal accountability? What happened to, you know, working hard? What happened to not being dependent on other people for what you have? This is the problem, you know, that we don't have enough people that put their foot down and say, stop moaning, stop crying, put put your big boy, big girl pants on and let's get on with it. Um, He sounds outstanding. I know there's other people, they like this girl that's running. I personally find her baby voice not something I like. Okay, just being honest. Um, (laughs) And I, her message is okay, but it's more like, you know, those MAGA train messages, not really deep seated, not coming From Not saying that those MAGA messages aren't coming from the heart, but they're not like meaty, where, you know, when she speaks, you're just like, yes, you feel this. Yes, you get it. Yes, you want everyone to, to join in and tear into this nice, succulent idea. He does that. And this is why President Trump won, because he felt it. He knew it. And he is a guy with tons and tons of money in his pocket, and he... Brought you to the table to eat that meal of pride. Brought you to the table to eat that meal of wanting to be free, wanting to be independent. This is why he won and these are the type of people we need. Not clowns like Crenshaw. I'm just going to leave it at that. So we don't need celebrities. We don't need people that are going to sit there and tell us how to think and how to be. We need people that embody and you know, believe to every inch of their, you know, b- every inch of their body screams freedom, screams 1776, screams welfare supposed to be there for those people when they're, uh, you know, hurt and, you know, um, need help. Not everybody. Medicare is not supposed to be for everyone. Back in the day, there weren't any, you know, benefits. When people came here, they came so they can work hard. They didn't come here for free stuff. Now people come here for free stuff so they don't have to work hard. Makes absolutely no sense, right? How we're at this point. You know, and thinking about that, Greenland, right? Okay, let's talk about Greenland because people are losing their mind. And you know what I want to do? I want to play a little bit of a clip from who? Siliza. Do you remember who he is? He used to be a conservative. He wrote a stellar article the day after Obama swore in. How he said Obama's first presidential order, which was locking everything under lock and key, you know, presidential archives. You can't see anything. I'm burying it forever. He coined that as putting concrete boots on government transparency. I love that term. Loved it. And now he works for CNN and he sounds like a tool. He even tries to be sarcastic and make things sound funny. It's totally a fail. Listen to this.
11: If we call it Trumpland instead, huh? Hmm?
0: Oh, my God. Here's one
11: for you. Donald Trump wants to buy Greenland. Now, that is not a sentence from an Onion article, although, honestly, you could be forgiven if you initially made that mistake. This president, the most unorthodox resident of the White House in modern history, is actually apparently interested in buying.
0: So, okay. so first of all, he called President Trump unorthodox resident of modern day history sitting at the White House. What would he call Bill Clinton? The rapist what would he call him normal what would he call Obama the lying Muslim right he didn't even have the cojones to say he was Muslim with his she man of a wife okay totally embarrassed to say the truth because if you're all about embracing let's come out of the closet let's be like why not don't be a hypocrite If you're gay, say it. If you're trans, say it. If you're a Muslim, say it. How are you embracing it and promoting diversity if you're hiding in closets? You're so far in the closet that you can't even see the door. Yeah, President Trump is the unorthodox one, right? We had a rapist in the White House, not unorthodox. This is how disgusting the left has been. You know, I don't even want to call them, uh, you know, news anymore. CNN is not, they're just TV stuff. On my last article that I put up there on lauralumer.us, um... I didn't even call them news. I didn't because we shouldn't even call. They're not. They're not even entertainment programs. They're just sad things that air on TV. Okay? Except for Matto, I totally love seeing that dude cry. I mean, he talks so much rubbish. It's like, it's like it should be on Comedy Central. Like if, you know, once NBC goes broke, right, and they will. Because in the end, there's only going to be independent media. And you know what? I would love to see having said that. And I know the right people usually listen here every now and then. Hey, I think that the debate should be hosted by independent media. Let's book a venue and you have people from independent media. Radio, print, YouTube. You get us all out there. I want to see people like, um, um, let's see, uh, Rush. I And don't even tell me Mark Levin. I don't even want to look at him. But unfortunately, he's going to have to be thrown in the mix because he writes books. Um, uh, Let's see. Uh, I'd love to see Millie Weaver. I'd love to see even Alex Jones. I mean, he looks like Walter Walter Cronkite right now with all this Epstein stuff, yes? I want to see Paul Joseph Watson. I want to see Milo. I want to see Laura. I want to see me. I want to sit there and ask questions during the debates, right? Um, This is... This would be the people's debate. This would be unfiltered questions and specific to the matters that we care about, not the rubbish like, oh, are you going to get um, are you going to give all illegals free health care? Look, we're not going to ask that. The questions we're going to ask is, when do you think you can tackle health care? Because that's a concern. How do we fix this? Since it's all so intertwined with insurance and pharmaceutical companies, it's like they all have their own subcontracts and they're so tied in together. How do we fix this? Because it's verging on, you know, privacy as well. HIPAA is being violated. How do we fix this? Uh, Do you have any plan or is this still in the works? Because we understand it's a really hard thing to fix. Good question, right? All of us want to know where that's going, right? All of us hey what do you think about um the federal reserve i mean it's not like they're working for us ever thought of just getting rid of it and going back to the gold standard man if he was to turn around and say sure why not he would win hands down no questions asked because that would mean we'd be getting burgers at mcdonald's for five cents again so (laughs) our dollar would be worth its weight in gold right it would be awesome so um These, this is how he needs to conduct it. And I think he kind of inched it when he was talking about Fox. And I'll play that clip. Um, let me find it because I have it where he was like talking about Fox and people are like, oh, he's trashing Fox. And, you know, he's trashing mainstream media, not specifically just Fox, uh, because it's a problem. Take a listen.
4: Well, Fox has always given me, i tell you, Fox is a lot different than it used to be, I can tell you that. Uh, Juan Williams. Then they have the wonderful woman that gave Hillary Clinton the questions. That was a terrible thing. And all of a sudden, she's working for Fox. What's she doing working for Fox? Fox has changed. And my worst polls have always been from Fox. There's something going on at Fox, I'll tell you right now. And I'm not happy with it.
0: Could it be that Rupert Murdoch was um, at Epstein's Island, you know, at his parties? Because I got pictures of him at his parties on ToriSays.com. So I don't know. I'm just asking. I mean, Michael Wolf should know because he was at the same party and he was also talking about how he was so excited sitting on the Lolita Express. I kid you not. Read my article about Epstein. There's three of them. Just type in Epstein. You'll see the one with Michael Wolf's face on it. He was like super excited. He was like, I'm so excited to interview Rupert Murdoch. And it's like, "Mm -hmm. yeah, you are. Well, and he flew on the Lolita jet then, you know, in, in the early 2000s, even though he said, I've not been on there since the 90s. Liar, liar, pants on fire. I got pictures of you on the jet. So, What is it that's with Fox? But just take a listen to what else he says.
4: I don't know what's happening with Fox, but when they have like a Juan Williams, who's never said a positive thing, and yet when I show up at the Fox building, he's out there, oh, sir, could I have a picture with you? Could I have a picture? And he was 100% nice. I mean, you've never asked me for a picture, No, no, they have to run it the way they want to run it. But Fox is different, there's no question about it. And I think they're making a big mistake because Fox was treated very badly by the Democrats. Very, very badly, having to do with the debates and other things. And I think Fox is making a big mistake because, you know, I'm the one that calls the shots on that, on the really big debates. I guess we're probably planning on three of them. And I, well, I'm very, I'm not happy with Fox. I'm certainly happy, I think, Sean Hannity and Lou Dobbs and I think Tucker Carlson and Laura and uh, Jesse Waters and Janine. We have a lot of great people. Even Greg Gutfeld, he wasn't good to me two years ago. Now he sees all I've done. He said, would you rather have a great president or a nice guy? I don't know. I think I'm a nice guy. But nobody's done in two and a half years what I've done. And I say that a lot and very few people can challenge it. The first two and a half years, Nobody's done what I've done in terms of tax cuts, regulation cuts, the military, the vets, the choice, so many different things. Nobody's done that. Yeah.
0: Okay, so let's talk. He's right, man. Like, who's done anything he's done in two and a half years? You could, Obama didn't do a fraction, actually. (laughs) Okay, we can't talk about him. His GDP was like negative three. And our president within two years made it like positive three. So let's just stop right there. We can't use, uh, let's use some really good presidents like JFK. He did great, but it took him a term and a little bit to get half, no, a quarter of what President Trump did. You know, great presidents can't even match up to what, our president did nothing. Eisenhower did a lot, but it took him a while. And the really good stuff, like creating the 100% contractor intelligence community that is untraceable in secret to monitor the rest of the intelligence community, was done in secret. Now, that was an achievement of its own, I have to say. Mm-hmm. Kudos to that. But our president has been incredible. And yet, all they do is slam him. And you know why they're doing it? Because they know they have nobody to compete with him. You've got Marianne tweeting out the Department of Peace with a pink eagle. Jesus. Like, where did they find these people? You have Joe Biden thinking he's actually going to win. You've got Bernie the commie. And because people are now not afraid to say they're communists. I mean, if someone registers as a communist and they're an American citizen... Doesn't that mean that you can remove, take away their passport according to law? Yes, you can. So why aren't we taking away people's passports and sending them off to communist nations? You want to be a commie so bad? Go. And you know what? Just to make us even look worse... And that's fine with me. We can have Germany take them all in. Take all the Nazis and the communists in. Take them in. So we could say, hey, round boy, with the donut in your mouth, heading down to the Antifa rally because you believe communism and socialism is good. According to the U.S. law, if you're a communist, you are not allowed to be an American citizen. Give me your passport. Oh my gosh, America is now stripping people of American citizenship because they're communists. Yep, we are. We'll take them. Take them. Here you go. You can have them all take them because when they actually live in a society where there is actual socialism, actual communism, you know, they'll finally realize just how bad of an idea it is. So right now we have, you know, uh, people that are running for office on the Democrat side pushing socialist idea. We have Elizabeth Warren. Think of it, guys. We already saw the audacity and the disgusting face of the Democrat Party when they were pushing Hillary Clinton, who we know has killed people, who we know is involved in child and human trafficking, who we know has extorted women and even caused them harm, physical, some can't speak anymore, has caused people like UN officers to die from barbells at four in the morning the day before they testify against her. You know, stuff like that. Stole the China from the White House, tried to push Hillary Care, which was Obamacare, back in the 90s. Who has a husband? Who's a rapist. They were pushing her, so they don't care if she's done all this. Now we have Joe Biden, the child predator, sniffer, idiot, who was part of the eight years of garbage that we lived through through Obama supposedly running. We have Kamala Harris, who lies her tush up. Oh, I was in weed, and I was listening to Tupac when I was in college. You finished college before Tupac even ran a record in Snoop. Are you kidding? So they don't even know what they're saying. Elizabeth Warren, there's a picture of her hugging a black woman, and she looks like she's hugging her, like, oh my gosh, I'm going to get cooties, but I have to do this for the camera. It was the most craziest thing. Then we have Bernie Sanders, the commie. I mean, come on, guys. Are these real, you know, candidates? the only real candidate that 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 you can actually have a conversation with is Andrew Yang, which unfortunately has to shift his agenda, even though he's really smart. And some of the things he says is right. He shifts it to sound as insane as these idiots because he believes the polls that they're pulling out. He should look at the bookies. Stop looking at what the Democrats are saying about themselves and look at the damn bookies. The bookies say you're better than all of them. Own it. Be different. Be a centrist. And you make a name for yourself. You're never going to win, Andrew Yang, but you're never going to win because You accepted what they told you. You're never going to win. You're never going to win. But you can establish a name for yourself that's reasonable and not crazy so that when your idea is ready to be implemented, you you can actually run. And I'll be on your team. But don't go wishy-washy saying things like, yes, we're going to give all illegal aliens (laughs) healthcare and we're going to just open up the borders and stuff. You know, it's just ridiculous. They know they're not going to win. Okay. They know they're not going to win. They're desperate. So they're just doing whatever they can. They're just uh, defaulting back to the, you know, orange man, bad argument. And now they're trying to create a religious division. They are sowing division on a religious base. That's what they're doing right now. Religious base, sowing of division. And this is what we're going to talk about today. Omar and Rashida Tlaib and all the BS that they're saying. I mean, it's, 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 It's pretty incredible. Now, let's talk about the tanker. Before we get to the next hour, we're going to be talking a little bit about Turkey, and then we're going to head, you know, Turkey and Russia, and what they're saying, because now Turkey's not even saying, oh, yeah, it was Russia. They're saying, oh, it was Syria. Uh, yeah, it was Russia. But anyway, uh, let's take a listen to what Pompeo had to say about the tanker, so that way he can introduce us to the Iranian, uh, you know, um, aggression, which is going to be talked about in the next hour.
2: Uh, These are uh, oil profits that, when this is ultimately sold somewhere into the market, uh, that will run back to the uh, Qasem Soleimani and the Iranian Quds Force, their elite forces that have sown terror and destruction and killed Americans. All around the world. And now they'll have, if they're successful, and we hope that they're ultimately not, but if they're successful, they'll have more money, more wealth, more resources to continue their terror campaign, to continue their assassination campaign in Europe. This is what we're trying to stop. So it's very unfortunate. So they've got 23 British crew
3: members on a ship. And and no doubt they're hoping that this move is going to help get those guys back home and and women back home. You know, is is that a good bet on their part?
2: Weakness never is the right outcome.
0: Okay. Okay. With regard to, did you hear that? That was awesome, and her face was like, "Okay, weakness is never outcome." Oh my gosh, she was like, "Yeah, okay, sure, huh? Okay, yeah." Did you did you guys? She's like, "Um, okay, sure." When you know she asked, "Is it good to have put British citizens on their, sh- you know, um?" ship so they can get away with it. And he said, weakness is never a good outcome
3: uh, the, you know, the IDP, the IDP camp, refugee camp. Some people are looking at the situation and saying that ISIS, which we just saw, you know, a a horrific tragedy at a wedding, 63 people were killed at a wedding in Kabul. And the, the thinking on the part of some who are looking at this camp are saying that they're basically entrenching there and they're starting to try to build another caliphate, you know, by, by treating these people horribly, even reports of executions inside this camp. What do you say about that?
2: So the attack uh, over the weekend was indeed tragic. It was innocent civilians, yeah. civilians that were killed. Uh, I, I'm not sure what there is more to add about that.
0: I want to say that they were innocent civilians, but I've said it before. That, and I said this yesterday, and, you know, Scott is actually on his way back from Europe. So hopefully I'll have all my shows going up soon. Um, uh what I um, had mentioned was that, you know, these ISIS fighters, these, uh, you know, jihadis don't see people as innocent civilians. They see them as nothing. They see them like ants. They see them like cockroaches. They see them as people that are not worth uh, anything. And this is how they function. And this is why they're so dangerous, because they can kill people and not see them as people because they're not. So they don't feel guilty. I mean, do you feel guilty when you step on ants? I mean, there's some of you that might. I mean, I had my child used to cry when we used to kill flies. Um, so, you know, do you feel guilty? Not really, because you believe that their existence is a nuisance to you. So you kill them, right? Right the flies, the, 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 the roach, the ant, the spider, right? You kill them because they're a nuisance to you. So those people that were massacred in Kabul and those people that they kill every day and those people they killed during 9-11, which was coordinated by others, just in general, let's not just say the jihadis, but those in power and the jihadis, they see... Human beings, certain human beings, as a nuisance, and they fall into the same category as flies, roaches, and ants. This is why they're dangerous. A terrorist, either that be domestic or foreign, right, is not dangerous because of what they spew in regards to rhetoric, it's the way they view humans that do not agree with their rhetoric. You know, we've seen this in alien movies when we have the higher race looking at the humans as something that is not as important. And we'll get to more right after this break about Ilhan Omar and Rashida. I got some breaking stuff on that.
1: filtered news
0: real news Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So, uh, as always, Monday through Friday, 12 to 2, um, right here on Red State Talk Radio, we break down the news the way it's supposed to be done, uh, and the way people don't like it to be done, which is by stating the truth. So uh, what I thought we could do is kind of, um, talk about First, let's talk about Russia and Turkey. So I want to play I-24's news segment on why would Syria bomb a Turkish military convoy? This is really interesting because yesterday I told you it wasn't Syria. It was actually Russia. But, you know, Russia is helping Syria. So I guess using the word Syria is better optics, right? Take a listen. One example
5: of how dangerous that is. Turkey is blaming the Assad government forces for bombing one of its military convoys in Syria's northwest Idlib province. Now, that area is part of a deal brokered between Turkey, Russia and Iran that was originally supposed to be a de-escalation zone. Our Middle East correspondent Emily Rose joins us with the details. What can you tell us about this incident, Emily?
12: Well, Kalev, it looks as though, for now, Turkey is condemning this move. They say that that convoy was en route to one of its observation posts, one of its 12 observation posts in the country. And it looks as though they are blaming the regime forces, the Syrian forces, for that attack.
3: Emily, why would they actually send a convoy to Idlib in the first
12: place? So Turkey backed a few different pockets of armed rebels in that area we have to remember that that whole enclave sits just on the border with Turkey and it doesn't want uh refugees and Syrians fleeing and flocking to its border so it has been sending military aid uh to bolster support behind those armed militias that are facing the Assad regime in Syria and it is doing so one to try to keep balance in the region and two because as you mentioned uh, just earlier this area was actually classified as what was considered a de-escalation zone, and it wants to try, try to stay true to that. Though we know since April, escalation has really taken an uptick in that area, leading to the death of some 860 civilians so far as of April.
0: Okay, see how false information moves? They say it with such conviction. First of all, Idlib was a was a was a territory. I don't know why they threw Iran into the mix there. That was super weird. But it was done between Syria, Russia, and Turkey where Russia said, "Hands off Idlib. You enter Idlib, you're done." So Turkey's like, "Oh, we're just going to give aid." Aid? You mean like truckloads of ammunition truckloads of missiles to those that you consider are the good guys when they're actually the terrorists i think not and they bombed them so that's what happened now take a listen to what um press tv has to say in regards to turkey slams airstrikes on its envoy in idlib blame syria even though it was russia take a listen
13: in the meantime, Turkey has slammed a deadly air strike that targeted a military convoy in northwestern Syria. The foreign ministry blamed Syrian forces for that attack, saying that it was a violation of the existing agreements with Russia. It said Moscow has been told in advance about the convoy. A U.K.-based observatory group says the attack was carried out by Syrian and Russian air forces, but there has been no comment from either side. <laughs>
0: <laughs> so there's where the truth comes out. It's done by Russian and Syrian forces because they're one in the same. Because what did I say? They said, don't go to Idlib. Wait, this guy is like super low energy. And, I, and I'm going to tell you, I'm going to have that amplified when I upload it. <laughs> he looks super low energy. But take a listen to what he says they were transporting.
13: Syrian media says that the convoy was heading for the town of Khan Sheikh in Idlib province to help the militants fighting government forces there. This as the Syrian army is edging to enter the town which has been under control of foreign backed militants since 2014. Our Damascus correspondent Mohamed a short while ago joined us and told us more about the Turkish envoy that was targeted in Syria.
11: Syria's foreign ministry issued a statement about what happened uh, explaining that a Turkish military convoy uh, crossed the uh, Turkish-Syrian uh, border and entered to the a uh, town of Saraqib in Idlib countryside heading towards Khan Sheikhoun in Idlib's southern uh, countryside and according to the Foreign Ministry uh, the Turkish convoy was doing so to save the defeated terrorists of the Al-Nusr Front in uh, Khan uh, Sheikhoun this comes of course as the Syrian army is battling those terrorist groups in that part uh, of uh, Syria and according to the Foreign Ministry uh, uh, this act by uh, Turkey proves uh, uh, once again Uh, the unlimited uh, support that the turkish side is providing to terrorist groups uh, in syria also the foreign ministry condemned uh, that act saying that uh, it is uh, actually uh, an intervention a turkish intervention in syria and it's definitely uh, a violation of uh, syria's sovereignty unity and security and the foreign ministry held the Turkish side responsible for the repercussions uh, of yeah. such an act and perhaps the most important part of the foreign ministry uh, uh, was what, is, what was interpreted by the Syrian army perhaps on the ground. The Syrian foreign ministry also made it clear that uh, such, uh, and, and, and I quote, such an aggressive uh, behavior by the Turkish uh, regime will not uh, uh, actually affect in any form Syria's determination, the Syrian army's determination to fight the terrorist groups, whether in Khan Sheikhoun or in other areas inside Syria until purging all of Syrian soil.
0: Okay, so I just want to explain to you what is going on here. So this Syrian envoy, right, that that Turkey sent, right, had tanks, had bullets, had everything, and as if you heard from the correspondent, it was actually going to help replenish the defeated terrorist cell of al-Nusra. So when we sit here on my show and we say Turkey is funding terrorists, this is what we mean, okay? Uh, this is exactly it. And now think about it. The bordering nation of Turkey, that's not even involved in the war. Not even, they have no business in the war. They're just like, they're the border town. They're the ones that are really upset with all these migrants going in and especially the Kurds. This is why they're expelling them by the end of this month or else they kill them or whatever. And you know, now they're going into their country with tanks and bullets and missiles and stuff. And they're like, here you go, terrorist, you can continue your fight. It's like, wait a minute, my what? It's like Mexico. Oh, wait. It's like what Obama did when he armed the cartels. That was wrong, right? Why are you, why are you arming the cartels? Why are you selling guns to domestic terrorist groups of Mexico? You know, imagine if we were at war with Canada and Canada had like a group of, you know, militants of terror cells in Utah and Mexico decided to send like truckloads of tanks and bullets to help the people of Utah as a humanitarian aid with bullets and tanks. What would you say? Mind your business, Mexico, is what you would say. And this is exactly it. Uh... Turkey what are you doing mind your business so I'm all for them getting bombed out and being told what are you doing again this is just another depiction of just how aggressive Turkey is you think them dominating the maritime area of eastern Mediterranean is it you think them jumping into Somaliland and building up these big bases arming the Houthis with drones that are attacking Saudi Arabia is something you know the fact that they're in Libya waters and taking over libyan tripoli and saying that they're now the army for libya it's like who are you no you're a terrorist that's what turkey is a terrorist country period we need to sever all ties and russia had no problem responding saying wait a minute nope this is it So, you know, it's so confusing when I see Russian television talking about it, you know, Syrian television talking, Iranian television. Well, actually, it was radio that I heard claimed that, you know, Russia put their foot down. That's how they described it when they were talking about Turkey. Russia put their foot down because Turkey is meddling. So now we have even the Iranians calling them out. Right. And they're still moving ahead. And for some reason, the mainstream media is like, yeah, Turkey's looking to Russia to buy planes. Uh, I don't know. After they killed three of their soldiers, wounded 12 of them and destroyed a couple tanks. I don't know how they're going to feel about that. You know, it's so much misinformation that you have to listen to both sides to actually parse the truth. You have to listen to the state controlled media of, you know, Turkey. You have to listen to the Qataris because they're on the same page with Turkey. You got to listen to the West. You got to listen to the Iranians, which, by the way, lately, Iranian News Network is pretty on point. They talked about the Houthis and, you know, they don't like Saudi Arabia and they were like, yo, they were using Turkish drones. And it's like, why isn't anyone saying this? Why isn't anyone saying that Turkey is selling their drones to Al Qaeda? You know, this is important information that the the world should know but for some reason no one is talking about it uh, there's no way that i know this and our intelligence community doesn't and that the clown networks don't know they all know it why aren't they talking about it is the question that's because you know you can't demonize a nation that you rely on following through the end plan so let's move on to rashida and omar okay I told you guys that Rashida married her mom's brother. There is a whole segment. See, I, I have the article up, but I thought I would demonstrate, um, you know, uh, the way I want to introduce it to people when they read it is not just, hey, Rashida married her mom's brother. I want to show why they do this and how over 30 percent of children born into um, some of these nations, you know, the families. Do you know that it's like an insult if you don't marry your first cousin? sometimes and if you marry outside of the family it's like an insult they inbreed it's called bottlenecking genetically they have severe issues severe issues and how they see it is is that a law will allow the the surviving genes to go forward they lose a lot of babies they have you know genetic issues i mean oh no offense this woman actually had children with this guy don't want to be mean all I'm going to say it's like it's so evident so it's like you know and I like I said this girl is so cute she is I feel so bad for her that she's so she's been molded like this one lie after another you know uh this uh obscure tormented history as a child i i feel bad for her and and you know i i know a lot of people are like are you nuts i actually love her smile i i feel bad for her she's so hurt and yet she is so malleable and this is why omar loves it um you know the way she spoke was incredible i want to play a little short clip uh from fox news about what they had to say in regards to their conference before I play the conference. Take a listen.
14: So the question is, are Democrats playing partisan politics instead of serving their constituents? Let's ask Tiana Lowe, commentary writer for the Washington Examiner and Democratic strategist, Kevin Chavos. Thank you both for being here. We certainly appreciate it. Kevin, I'll start you. with you. I mean, is there partisan politics at play here?
15: I would say yes, but on, on all sides, I believe. Uh, President Trump and Benjamin Netanyahu are also playing partisan politics. It, it, to me, it seems as though the relationship between uh, the U.S. and Israel, especially under Donald Trump now, has really just become about their own personal agendas. I mean, our relationship with Israel used to be bipartisan. I mean, that used to be one thing that both sides of the aisle um, could agree on um, this providing aid to Israel and providing support. They are our strongest ally in the region. But when they block lawmakers from entering the country, um, who are American, regardless of whether they're Democrat or Republican. Um, I agree with Representative Omar that that's just not how allies uh, treat each other. Yeah, but you have, to, you
14: have to, though, take into consideration the comments that they've made in the past,
15: correct? That's true. That's true. And they, they haven't made friendly comments about Israel. But uh, in America, we have the right to free speech, and people are able to, to voice their opinions about things. And I just believe that as much help as we give Israel, she said... Um, almost four million but it's almost four billion um, I just think we we deserve better and and I do believe that Israel being so I mean look Donald Trump is very popular in Israel um, he's actually on one of their coins and I think Netanyahu knows that and he knows he's got an election coming up and he's hitching himself to Donald Trump but you know it takes a bipartisan agreement in order to to get these aid packages passed and I just think they're they're threatening what used to be a good run for Israel. I mean, both sides of the aisle always support um, Israel usually, and I just think they're threatening that.
14: Let's go ahead to Tiana right now and bring you in and your opinion on this. I mean, what's changed in the last two years? I don't see Steiny Hoyer
16: invoking anti-Semitic tropes. I don't see Nancy Pelosi invoking anti-Semitic tropes. I don't see any member of Democratic leadership changing their tune on our historical allyship with Israel. The only difference is the introduction of the squad and the introduction of some of the most virulent anti-Semitism we've had in Congress in years. And especially if you look at the fact that, you know, yesterday, Ilhan Omar lied through her teeth to her constituents about the nature of her trip. She said that she had planned to meet with members of the Knesset. According to her only publicly available schedule, this isn't true. And then when she was attacking journalists, myself included, yesterday for calling her out on Twitter and retweeting uh, post-signal-boosting harassment against members of the media, including um, an editor at The Forward... Her staff was unable to provide another uh, itinerary and said they were just relying on other people's tweets saying that, oh, allegedly there were some
14: meetings that were talked about with the Knesset after the fact. Well, let's go ahead and take a listen to a little uh, clip here of what Ilhan Omar had to say yesterday. And this is on aid, U.S. aid to we Israel. We give
1: Israel more than three million dollars in aid every year. But denying visit to duly elected members of Congress is not consistent with being an ally. Okay,
0: I just want to say something. So when a nation decides to bar someone to come to their country, it's because they fear that they will cause damage. They will cause deaths. They will cause unrest, etc. Now, there are many people... That may um, fly to Israel and, you know, be mistaken for someone that will cause unrest and be barred. There are many people that um, are really incognito that come in and, uh, you know, may not, uh, may have nefarious, uh, I would say, a nefarious agenda like killing Israelis or blowing themselves up or stabbing someone or something, there you know there are multiple reasons as to why a nation would bar you and now here ilhan omar is saying well we're providing aid to them so they have to let me in they don't because your platform indeed is so large because you represent a huge nation and all eyes are on you from the muslim brotherhood relying on you your one word has the weight of 10 idiots 20 idiots 30 idiots So with you being in their nation, exploiting them, you know, um, maybe misconstruing how things are, or maybe inciting a rebellion, inciting unrest, inciting war, inciting death, because you've done it in your own nation, what would stop you to do it in a nation that you don't even consider legitimate, that you have been raised to see as nothing more than an ant that are not even human that you can't even refer to that place as a nation. You can't even put them on your itinerary. You are one of the most dangerous people to be in there. It's kind of like thinking, um, you know, when Australia was thinking of barring Milo Yiannopoulos. They were like, well, we can't bring him in here because he's gay, he's white, but he's married to a black guy. So we can't call him racist. We can't call him homophobic. We can't, you know, call him anything. And if we let him in, he's going to show that all those things we're telling people are bad and wrong. You know, he's saying... And he's not any of those things. He's not a homophobe because he's a homo. He's not racist because his husband's black. You know, he's not a Democrat and, you know, applauds, you know, asexualism and not producing children and embracing, uh, you know, Muslim. He is a Greek Jew. Like, you can't get any more diverse than that. And that is dangerous for them, just like Ilhan Omar is dangerous for many nations. If she were to go to the country of Greece, she'd be dangerous. The country of Italy, she is dangerous. She is dangerous because her word is followed by those that follow Sharia, by those that follow the same ideologies she does, by those that believe that Israel does not exist or that the Israelis do not exist. This is why she was barred. She's not your average lawmaker and she will not be your average lawmaker anymore. She will be thrown behind bars. It just takes time. And the more you let someone out, the more you let them grow, the more you let them think that they are untouchable, the more you can get on them. Remember that Uh, there's no one uh, that I would love to see thrown behind bars for inciting violence. She tweeted out a picture of Hong Kong saying, look, 1.7 million of them got on the street and they overran, you know, the police and stuff. Why don't we do that? She's inciting violence and unrest in her own country. You think she's not going to do it in a nation she doesn't believe is real? That she believes are terrorists? Are you kidding? I wouldn't let her 10 feet from that place.
14: I mean, you can hear right there, she's not exactly saying, but she is hinting at cutting funding. Um, And before I get your opinions on this, let's take a look at this statement from Hogan Gidley, the White House backing Israel, saying, quote, Israel has the right to prevent people who want to destroy it from entering the country. And Democrats' pointless congressional inquiries here in America cannot change the laws Israel has passed to protect itself. We've had a good relationship with them, as you guys know. Um, You know, foreign aid funding obligations to Israel... You can see we'll pull this up here on the screen. It's pretty much been consistent over the last couple of years anyway. That's just the last three years, as you can see. Um, Kevin, your final thoughts here on whether or not you think that funding should be cut. Should this be something that is looked into, as Omar is suggesting?
15: Well, I personally think that Israel gets, I, mean, I think, $4 billion is certainly um, a large amount. Uh, but it's been that way, and I don't think it's going to change anytime soon, even with this. I just don't think this will move the needle that far to the, I guess, to the left, we should say, in order, in, in terms of cutting aid. Um, but I do think it's important to recognize that Representative Omar and Tlaib, um, the squad, as they're called, or part of the squad, they, they sort of represent sort of new views and views of sort of the younger Americans who... Are looking at these foreign aid packages more critically. I mean, why does Israel have to get so much in aid? Yes, they are our strongest ally in the region, and it is important for us to have an ally in order for strategic purposes and our um, interest in the region. But these are things that Voters are starting to look at more closely, whereas before we didn't really ask. It was Israel, they're our ally, so we're going to support them as much as we need to. We, we and I think to... people are going to look closely at it now.
14: We're running out of time, but I do want to give Tiana the final word here. Yeah, I'm sure the same young millennials who want
16: $32 trillion Medicare for all packages are worried about a few billion in foreign aid spending for our only Democratic ally in the region. Um, I mean, I think. Ilhan Omar made it abundantly clear. She said if they were an ally, she doesn't view them as an ally. Rashida Tlaib has been open about the fact that she supports the eradication of an independent Jewish state in the region. Um, I mean, they've given the lie to whatever they believe in. And I don't think that this is the future of the Democratic Party. And I certainly hope that for the sake of America and for the sake of
14: liberalism worldwide, that it is not. All right, Tiana, Kevin, thank you so much for your time. We appreciate it. So the question is, we don't we
0: don't really care about liberalism worldwide do we they could bury themselves for all we care. now let's listen to what omar had to say condemning trump condemning israel and their occupation of palestine take a listen
1: well thank you everyone for being here sorry to be uh late there was some uh traffic detours um I'm- sounds like
0: it's really bad sound hold on i've got another one ready
1: and as a member of ...about the conflict so that I could be more informed as a member of Congress and as a member on the Foreign Affairs Committee. Contrary to many media reports and the statements of the Israeli Prime Minister, I plan to meet directly with members of the Knesset and Israeli security along with Palestinian civil society groups, former IDF soldiers, israel palestine and international organizations
0: okay so first of all that's a lie um super lie we all know that now um and she never once put the word israel in her uh notion now i'm going to tell you something about this conference which is pretty bad pretty bad this conference has Ilhan Omar speaking and she is wearing a T-shirt with lips that are of the shape of an American flag. But she is wearing a medallion that is worn by royalty that is showing her loyalty to another nation. It is pretty sick. Everybody missed it. I'll talk about that after the break, right before I end the show um, and tell you what it's all about.
1: And United Nations officials... Leading up to the trip, I met with constituents holding a wide range of views on the conflict. All the activities on my trip had been done by members had been done by members of Congress in the past, including a nearly identical trip a few years ago led by the very same Palestinian organization leading this trip. In addition to me and Rashida. Going on the trip, we were going to be joined by Stacey Plaskett from the Virgin Islands. The decision to ban me and my colleagues, the first...
0: Hey, guys. Do you know who Stacy Plaskett is? First of all, I just wanted to tell you, during this meeting, which was held in Minnesota, in the background, you have Rashida Tlaib's sisters. I kid you not. Her sisters are in the background. Her sisters. Why is her family donning the stage? Think about it. Why is her family donning the stage? Why does she have a couple of her sisters decorating the background? And who is the woman from the Virgin Islands? Uh, Virgin Islands. Why has that been in the news lately? Oh, right. Epstein. Epstein, that's right. We'll get to that after the break.
9: Hey, this is Leonora Cravoda from Red State Talk Radio for my pillow. I used to have trouble sleeping. My pillow changed all that. I now fall asleep within moments of my head touching my pillow. That's how comfortable my pillow is with its patented interlocking fill. My pillow stays cool and does not go flat. 800 961 promo code REDSTATE. Put sleepless nights behind you with my pillow, the most comfortable pillow you will ever own.
0: For the best
12: night's sleep in the whole wide world, visit MyPillow.com.
6: Guaranteed life insurance with no medical exam. Sounds great, right? Even better, your rates will never increase and benefits will never decrease. If you're a U.S. citizen between 50 and 80, you can get life insurance guaranteed. It's not guaranteed in every state, and you may not qualify for every policy, but when you call, you'll speak with a licensed insurance company. They'll give you all the details about guaranteed life insurance. So call now, 1-800-707-1219, 1-800-707-1219.
0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Tory Says Show. I'm your host, Tory. So where did we leave it off? We left it off where Ilhan Omar made a great statement that everybody missed and no one took heed of. Stacey Plaskett, who is that? (laughs) That's the congresswoman of the U.S. Virgin Islands. That's the one that was funded by Epstein. And you have to wonder. Why would Epstein's Congresswoman need to go to Israel? Why? Why would she? Is she a Muslim? What is she looking for? Is she there to provide anything? That's the question. So I want you to listen to a member of If and Now who spoke Um with Omar and a uh, while two of Rashida's sisters were overseeing this. Take a listen.
1: Rosa Deruker from the If Not Now movement. Rosa, thank you so much.
0: First of all, I just want to tell you, this is uh, a woman that has those really short, ugly Antifa bangs. I just wanted to point that out.
17: My name is Rosa Drucker. I am here as a constituent of Congresswoman Omar, and I'm here as a young Jew. My Jewish values call me to defend the freedom and dignity of all people. It is because of these values that I organize with If Not Now, a movement of American Jews working to end our community's support for the Israeli military occupation over millions of Palestinians. The situation may be complex, but it is not complicated. The occupation is a daily nightmare for those who live it and a moral disaster for those who support it. What we saw this past week demonstrates Israel's desperation to hide the realities of the occupation from us. Palestinians are denied access to medical care, education, economic opportunity, and freedom of movement. The Israeli government...
0: Okay, so first of all, they're denied care and education and freedom of movement within Israel-controlled territory. They have their own education, own health care, and they have freedom of movement within the Palestinian-controlled territory. And they can leave Palestine as well. They just can't do it through Israel. They have to do it through Palestine if they had their own airport or go through Jordan. So that's up to them. Okay, let's just point out facts.
17: Receives billions of dollars from the U.S. annually to enforce this cruel regime. When the Israeli government denies entry to our democratically elected members of Congress, they show us.
0: They were not democratically elected. First of all, Rashida won in a district she didn't live in. And Omar would um, put out Somali gangs against those that were running against her. I mean, this guy Lacey, I hope he's, you know, going to stay safe because he might have an accident. Because that's what she does. She puts out her Somali thugs. But, you know, patience. Because when she gets rounded up, it'll be after the primary because we want her to win the primary. Um, we want her to get the primary nomination, but then we want to arrest her after that. So she has to drop out of the race and her name needs to get off the ballot. And so hmm, I guess whatever Republican got that nomination will be the only one on the ballot. The same goes for Rashida. <laughs> That's the way it works, guys. So we got to be patient. We got to wait for them to get on the ballot. We got to wait for them to actually win their primary and then we arrest them because that's when justice comes. That is how you win. That is how you're effective in winning. You make sure you extend everything because you know what, what will someone say? When did you really know that she had committed immigration fraud? Well, I don't know. When did you know, Democrats? Because you're assuming that I knew it before the primary and I did this last minute so that the, De- the the Republican name is the only one on the ballot and people have to fill in a second name. I don't know. You tell me. When did you know? Oh, we didn't know. Neither did we. We just found out. Sorry. <laughs> See how that works? That's the way it works. That's the way you win. That's the way you do it. You play their game. They want to play checkers on their field. Then we just play on their field, and now we know their rules. So this is how we play checkers. Omar's done. Rashida's done. It's just got to be done at the right time. That's all. Right time. And this self-loathing Jew, speaking of this, my gosh, please. Let's take a listen to what else. um, Crazy Omar, showing allegiance to another nation, has to say,
1: my colleague, the first two Muslim American women elected to Congress is nothing less than an attempt by an ally of the United States to suppress our ability to do our jobs as elected officials. But this is not just about me. Netanyahu's decision to deny us entry might be unprecedented for members of Congress, but it is the policy of his government when it comes to Palestinians. This is the policy of his government when it comes to anyone who holds views that threaten the occupation. A policy that has been edged on and supported by Trump's administration. That's because the only way to preserve unjust policy is to suppress people's freedom of uh, expression, freedom of association, and freedom of movement. My colleague and I are not the only ones who are being denied the right to see for ourselves the reality on the ground on the West Bank. The Netanyahu government, for example, is currently trying to deport Omar Shakir, a human rights worker, with Human Rights Watch because he has reported on human rights conditions in the West Bank and Gaza.
0: Wait a minute. Is that not what... um... Somalia does to their people Wait, and Kenya and China and Germany and even the United States deporting people. But okay, let's put it this way. She's saying that this guy is being deported because he's reporting. No, this guy is being deported, not for reporting, but organizing groups to formulate attacks. You can't have people like that living in your nation freely or residing in your nation freely. If you're in my nation, you need to respect my nation, right? You need to abide by my rules. When you come to my country and you tell me how I'm supposed to operate, that's one thing. When you rally up thousands of people to commit violence and cause civil unrest because you don't like how I do things, you need to go. I mean, that's me. You need to be accountable for that. Now, having said that, I have to say that what does go on in the areas uh, that are being questioned between the two peoples is not good. I've seen it with my own eyes and it comes from both sides. The one side is trying to be reasonable. The other side is being funded by terrorists. So when you're met with violence, you respond with what? defensive violence right and so this is why we have a hot mess because the real Palestinian people want to talk the jihadis the terrorist back groups don't so how do you speak with someone how do you have a conversation with someone that doesn't want to have a conversation it's kind of like when you're trying to speak with a lefty and you're trying to speak logic you're trying to speak truth you're trying to talk facts and they come at you with racist bigot And they start calling you names, homophobe, Islamophobe, but they don't want to talk fast. It's kind of like that. Picture it like that, only they use guns and missiles and bombs and suicide bombers to make their point across rather than just hurl insults. Listen to what else she has to say.
1: Last year, the Netanyahu government refused entry to American citizen Catherine Frank Frank and my friend Vince Warren who had arrived on a human rights mission. All of these actions have nothing to, do nothing to bring us closer to peace. In fact, they do the opposite. They maintain the occupation and prevent a solution to the conflict. Fortunately, we in the United States have a constructive role to play. We give Israel more than $3 million in aid every year. This is predicated on there being an important ally in the region and the only democracy in the Middle East. Okay, so
0: it's actually $3.8 billion, but who's counting, right? She doesn't even know her facts.
1: A denying visit to duly elected members of Congress is not consistent with being an ally, and denying millions of people freedom of movement or expression or self-determination is not consistent with being a democracy. We must be asking, as Israel's ally, the Netanyahu government stop the expansion of settlements on Palestinian land and ensure full rights for Palestinians if we are to give them aid. These are not just my views. These are the views held by the range of experts, peace advocates on this issue.
0: I want to know who these experts are. Are they, wait a minute, the United Nations Human Rights Council? Are they people of Qatar? Are they people of Turkey and Somalia? Are they, oh, let me guess. They're all Muslim. That's right. So, This is the rhetoric being pushed. I want to fast forward um, toward the end before she introduces Rashida because we need to listen to her crocodile tears so we can break down the BS that she's feeding the people of America. Let's take a listen.
1: To go. The occupation is real. Barring members of Congress from seeing it does not make it go away. We must end it together. Now, it's with honor that I introduce my sister, Rashida Tlaib, who has been so brave and resilient and someone um, who has deep connections to the region uh, and someone who I would have loved to to have met um, her city, Rashida Tlaib.
18: Thank you so much to my dear friend and colleague, uh, Congresswoman Ilhan Omar, for inviting me to her district to join you all today. I am incredibly thankful for her leadership and strength through all uh, she has been dealing with uh, as a woman of color in Congress. I don't know how she does it sometimes, but the outpouring of support we have received from our constituents and supporters across the country shows us how important it is to keep fighting for justice. Today, Reps Omar and Plaskat and I were supposed to be on a congressional trip and delegation to the Palestine and Israel. And such delegations are common occurrence for members of Congress. Earlier this month, in fact, 71 other members of Congress traveled to Israel, seemingly without incident.
0: Okay, we got to stop right there. Hey, so here's where we're going to catch them. 71 other members went that you guys declined to go to because they wouldn't put the trip labeled as Palestine. That's fact. They refused to go with them and wanted to go after them because they didn't want to go on the bipartisan delegation trip. Okay, let's just fact fact fact. Let's just do facts.
18: What is not common occurrence is members of Congress being barred from entering a country on these fact-finding missions unless they agree to strict set of rules curtailing their rights or being required to submit their itineraries for stop by stop pre-approval. History does have a habit of repeating itself.
0: Okay, so now she's upset that they had to submit their itineraries and show stop by stop places for approval. Yeah, they have to because they have to provide security. They don't want you going somewhere where they know there's going to be civil unrest. Because if you get hurt, that's on them. That's in any nation that you go to. If you decide that you're going to visit Germany, Germany's going to want to know where you go. So they ensure that it's safe for you and that they have the appropriate security or people on standby for you. So what she's saying is completely complete rubbish and asking you to not incite violence and unrest and promote boycotting the whole nation isn't a really big issue because that shouldn't be your priority your priority was supposedly be uh, you know fact finding not pushing the BDS movement not you know um creating an uproar or to promote civil unrest so what's the problem with that
18: I learned this week that a former member of congress Congressman Charles C. Diggs, Jr. was denied entry into Apartheid South Africa in 1972. He was also the representative for the 13th Congressional District in Michigan. I was born and raised in the beautiful Detroit where many of my African-American teachers taught me about the realities of oppression and justice and the need to speak up and take action. Growing up in a city that has been at the center of many social justice movements for civil rights, labor rights, and equality, and absorbing those lessons has shaped who I am today and drives me to push for peace and justice for the Palestinian and Israeli people. As a young girl visiting Palestine to see my grandparents and extended family, I watched as my mother had to go through dehumanizing checkpoints. Even though she was a United States citizen and proud American.
0: Okay, let's stop right there because she started to cry. So first of all, Rashida went back for the arranged marriage to her mom's brother. Secondly, her mom actually had left Palestine... Right. Married her dad when she was 13 and they lived in Ecuador where Rashida also lived. But for some reason, Rashida has an American birth certificate. I'm a little bit confused. And her mom became an American citizen after living in America for a while, naturalized. And then so. okay, so she was a naturalized citizen because, you know, um, That's what she was. So she was being dehumanized. Hey, Rashida, all of us have to go through that. You know, all of us have to go through checkpoints, TSA dehumanizing when you have someone's hand up your crotch. But see, when you travel within the United States and you're an American citizen, they already have a file on you. They already know who you are, where you travel, who your family is and how high of a risk you are. Are you TSA pre or are you not in Israel, they don't have that. They don't have a database with your face to say not terrorist or not uh, do not fly or this is her family. They don't have that. So you have to wait there. Dehumanizing is not being stepped aside and saying, hold on a second, let's check. The checkpoints she's probably referring to are the checkpoints leaving you know the Ramallah checkpoint in Jerusalem and entering Israel again and that's the checkpoint where they check did you bring anything are you a terrorist is your passport really American is it valid because it takes a while it's not like the US is going to provide all that information and back in the day they didn't have biometric connections they didn't have a straight line shoot what they had was did she enter yes she did she came from the US All right, correlated done back then it It was different. So her crocodile tears are all rubbish. I'm here to just break it down for you. What she's saying is complete rubbish. You know, if it's dehumanizing to have TSA's hand up your crotch, people looking through your bag and trying to make sure that your passport is real and that you're not entering Israel, you know, at that checkpoint to cause, you know, a disruption or maybe blow yourself up. You know, I'm sorry. You live in a fantasy world.
18: I was there when my city was t- in a terrible car accident, and my cousins and I cried so she could have access to the best hospitals, which were in Jerusalem. I remember shaking with fear when checkpoints appeared in the small village of Beth El foca Tanks and guns everywhere.
0: Is she referring to the fact that the land that her family had was taken to become a road and the fact that her house is flanked by two Israeli bases? Mm. Or is she fearful and recalling the fact that she was getting married to her sister's brother and there was a lot of press because, um, you know, she was getting married to him? Is that it?
18: I remember visiting East Jerusalem with my then husband and him escorted, escorted off the bus although he was a united states citizen just so security forces could harass him all i can do as my city's granddaughter as the as the granddaughter of a woman who lives in occupied territory is to elevate her voice by exposing the truth the only way i know how as my detroit public schools teachers taught me by humanizing the pain of oppression our delegation trip included meetings with israeli veterans who were forced to participate in military occupation, they also desperately want peace and self-determination for their Palestinian neighbors.
0: They could have shed light. In- Wait a minute. She said something true. Both the Israelis and the Palestinians, in fact, do want peace. They can live together. They coexisted together for thousands of years. Why is it a problem now? Because the Muslims refused the nomination of territory that happened after World War II. That's why. Because they created terrorist groups. This wouldn't even be an issue. There wouldn't be an issue of occupying. There wouldn't be an issue of attacks. There wouldn't be missiles flying. There wouldn't be death. There wouldn't be murder. There wouldn't be suicide bombers. There wouldn't be anything if the jihadis just minded their business. You know, their idea is the Israelis were always nomads. They shouldn't have been provided any territory because basically after World War II and after the Holocaust, you know, all the nations came together and said, all right, we're giving this territory to Israel. And Israel says, no, we have Israelis that live here. We have Israelis that live there. And then the Palestinians were like, you know, we don't even need territory. We could just all be together because we've been together for so many years. We've been working in peace. But then you have Hamas, you have Hezbollah, you have all these jihadi, you know, funded terror organizations organizations that were attacking the Israelis and their, you know, base camp and their base city and their capital. And it just became a hot mess. It's people like Rashida that caused that division. She could sit there and say that all they want is peace, but her message isn't one of peace. Her message is one of division and eradication of another people. The two people did coexist. They never had problems of existence until Israel was actually recognized. The only thing Israel wanted was to be recognized as an independent state, just like the Palestinians do. And they could have done that in harmony. We have twin cities. Why couldn't we have twin countries, per se? They lived thousands of years. I'm just saying. The bottom line is it's terrorist cells, that caused this situation to escalate because they believe the Jews are the plague on mankind this is how muslims think this is why they don't even recognize israelis as israelis i have a lot of friends that are arab israelis they're like dude we've lived in like the northern part the southern part you know we're all the same we just have different religion and they live fine and in harmony it's these aggregated you know, pockets of cultish Sharia behavior because, you know, they hate the Jews. They hate the Christians, too, but they really hate the Jews. And that is what the problem is. This is this is what they're doing. They're creating this divisiveness when the real people do. The people of both nations want peace. BB is promoting peace, yet he has to respond when you're throwing a missile. He has to respond when you're bringing in a suicide bomber. This is a problem. And people get nationalized, you know, to the extreme. Not patriotic, like, oh, I'm so proud to be a Jew. Or, oh, I'm so proud to be, you know, a Palestinian. Whatever they want to call a Philistinian. Whatever. Whatever. It's that extremist part where it's like, you don't deserve to exist. Only I do. And that is where... Rashida falls. That is where the majority of these jihadi nations fall. That's the problem. They want to talk. It's 2019. They can talk. I mean, thousands of years. They live together. They've been talking. But it all changed when they were provided actual borders rather than be one nation, as they were. It was the Judeo nation, Palestinians, Philistinians, you know, from the kingdom of David, Saul, so many. Come on, guys. They have such a deep history. Why now? Because they were given borders and the Muslims didn't like it. That's basically what happened. Okay. Bottom line. And remember, at that time, we had a lot going on. Turkey was forced to withdraw from Mecca. They had to give up all the territory they had in Israel and Jordan and Egypt and and Saudi Arabia. And they were PO'd. The fanatics, the crazy Ottomans were PO'd. This is what happened. It was a hot mess. And yet we have a residual of that anger, that detest for anyone that is not abiding by the laws of Allah to exist
18: into injustices of raids, shootings, demolitions, and t- child detention. The delegation would have seen firsthand why walls are destructive, not productive. They could have asked the people in Bethlehem how walls cut people off away from economic opportunities, from a way to live, and do psychological damage that lasts forever. All I can do as her granddaughter is help humanize her and, daughter. and the Palestinian people's plight. I know that when we can finally see them as deserving of human dignity, everyone who lives there will be able to live in peace.
0: What about it's Jews? Do they not Prime deserve human dig- dignity? Dignity a
18: page out of Trump's book, and even dis- direction from Trump to deny this opportunity. And yes, while folks are shocked that this happened to us, but today we will hear from folks who will help show the reality for many who have been barred from going to, into Israel not to be even able to reach the Palestinian people.
0: Okay, so he, here's, here's, here's the closing argument. For one, Il, uh, Rashida Tibleeb is completely lying her face off. You know, she is what the problem is. What's going on in the supposed occupied territory is people like, like Rashida. Second, Omar's speech, the most alarming thing I found is that she was wearing the medallion, the royal crest of Somalia. She does not identify as American. That tells you everything you need to know. I will be dropping that article. She was wearing the coat of arms of Somalia. While sitting there to serve the nation of the United States of America, she had the coat of arms of Somalia on her chest. Hmm. Want to talk about anti-American? That says it all. It's like the Mexicans who are saying that they deserve to be American, but they wave a Mexican flag. Which one is it? American or Mexican? And who does she serve? Allah or the American people? That's the question. When you're a public servant, you serve the people first. On that note, I want to wish everyone a great evening. God bless from all of us here at Red State. I'll see you all tomorrow, same time, same place, 12 to 2 on Red State Talk Radio.
4: A long way from the suits in D.C. But close enough now to see this mess. Where I stand, the mound's getting steeper. They grab a shovel, dig a hole a little deeper. Just to bury my kids right up to their neck.